For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. And a good morning, Birds fans. Are we ready for some hitting? We may get some of that today. Thanks for tuning in to Birds 365. It is Jody McDonald with my partner, while John McMullen is busy. Jeff Kerr, CBS Sports. And speaking of John McMullen, there he is, asking you shall receive. The usual co-host of the show, John McMullen. Hustling down to Eagles practice these days, so he joins us right at the top of the show. First, Mr. Kerr, good morning. Morning, Jody. Uh, how was your Monday? Uh, I worked way too much. Uh, three different shows yesterday. You were my first, uh, but you were only my first out of three. Uh, and always good to be talking to John McMullen. Johnny Mac, how's camp treating you? Uh, hey, it's a grind. And here we are. What are we? I, now I got to start thinking about day six. Day six. Happy Pads Day, gentlemen. First day of Pads. Well, well, then let's start right there. Uh, we've never seen a uh, Coach Sirianni camp before. We've uh, taken the steps through him and how he's doing things and what he's attempting to accomplish in camp. But this is the first day of pads. Um, we've got uh, years gone by. Those that have been uh, long round enough from Doug Peterson to Chip Kelly to Andy Reid. Shoot, I even go all the way back to uh, Buddy Ryan and uh, Ray Rhodes and Buddy Ryan. How do you think uh, day one in pads is going to go? For Nick Sirianni, Mr. McMullen. Well, I, you know, if you want to compare it to those guys, they say it all the time. It's a different time. I mean, Nick's been running practices that sometimes are as low as 75 minutes. So, you know, that's not the old days when you used to go three hours and then you had a special team walk through in the afternoon. Oh, by the way. So, uh, yeah, it's a lot different how they uh, how they run things. And a lot of it stems, I, I mentioned earlier, because I was on the field, that was probably my worst day covering the NFL when Corey Stringer um, essentially, um, you know, fell to heat exhaustion. And, and it was just, that changed everything. You know, there were no mandatory. Think about, you know, that's not that long ago, guys. That's really the turn of the century and there was still the mentality of you're weak if you want water. Don't bring it on the field. And now everything is completely changed with sports science. And that part of it's uh, good. Uh, no question of it. Um, the issue becomes preparation. And how do you prepare for the game in 75 minutes? We're going to find out if you're going to run 75-minute practices. We're going to see if they can get their work in. John, you said yesterday the defense pretty much won every practice. Um, I don't know who won the day yesterday, but do you want to? What do you want to see out of the offense today? Well, I did think the offense, by the way, Jeff, won yesterday. I, I think they finally came through. I think it was by far the best uh, practice for Jalen Hurts of the summer. Uh, I think it was sharp on the intermediate stuff, and that was pretty. That's been pretty much the issue. Uh, throughout the first days of camp. And it was ironic because he didn't have Devontae Smith out there. So, um, 
you know, that part's a little bit concerning because I, I've talked about that domino effect of Devontae Smith and how it improves the whole wide receiver corpse as a, uh, just putting guys in more natural positions. Well, now he's not out there, and the guys, and you start looking at the guys that are out there, and you go, Oof, where are we again at the wide receiver position? Um, so that's a concern. But yeah, by far, I would say the offense uh, had its best day uh, on Monday. Um, Jalen Hurts had his best day, and they just want to con- continue consistency. I mean, that's the whole thing that Nick Sirianni is preaching to Jalen Hurts in that offense do it day after day after day keep stacking days as they say the cliche you got one good day let's see if they can follow it up follow it up let me follow up with Devonta Smith and we know now that he's week to week with the injury that he suffered Uh, JM did either you or anyone else be able to define or Uh, explain exactly when Devonta Smith did get hurt. Yeah, we saw the play. Uh, It was awkward. It was a a far side of the field, so it was difficult to see from where most of the reporters were standing. Uh, It was clear something was wrong. It was a low pass. He he went, from my perspective, it it looked like he went down awkwardly. We we were actually talking, a few of us were talking about this yesterday. Was it non-contact? Was it contact because a player was right there uh and came in from my view from my perception immediately i thought it was a non-contact thing i thought it was when he he stepped uh awkwardly and then the player came in other people saw it differently um you don't have the 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 luxury of video so it's tough to tell nobody's got it on video yeah no, but they shut down video by that point of the practice. That was in team drills. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, you're you're just going by your eyes. I thought it happened on the plant. Very similar to if you think about Carson Wentz's injury way back in the day when he, he got hurt and he tore his ACL and his LCL. It was the plant where he tore it. It wasn't the hit after. That's what I think happened here. I can't guarantee it. I actually asked the Eagles. Was it non-contact? Was it contact? Um, and they said they didn't know. So that's where we are. So what time frame are we looking at here, John? I've heard two to three weeks, obviously, from Schefter. But does it look like he'll play in any preseason games at this point? Uh, I would doubt it. And and that's a concern for me, for any rookie. Um, I just think you need to reps. I mean, to me, you hope <laughs> – you remember, guys – these designations weren't exactly, uh, you know, came down from the mount during the Doug Peterson era when when he would say day to day and guys would be out weeks and week to week with me. Okay, we'll see in a couple months. Um, I hope it, it means week to week. I hope uh, it means uh, the, the, the most – uh, positive of MCL sprains, which would be a grade one versus a grade three. I think Isaac had a grade three last year and he missed half the season, had to have surgery. So there's a varying um, degree to those types of injuries. Uh, the Eagles were pretty confident it's not that serious. So hopefully they're right. Hopefully it's, it's, it, it's not as serious, but 
Yeah, I mean, it, it hurts because he's such a big part of that offense, and it's hard to put that on the shoulders of a rookie to begin with, but they're expecting so much of him. And now he's going to miss reps and, and preseason games. So it's got to be a concern. Jay Mack, you said that uh, Jalen Hurts might have had his best practice uh, of the entire camp. Not when I say entire camp. It sounds like it's been months. It's actually been a week. It feels um, like months. It just feels like months, exactly. Um, who are the uh, guys who were making plays down the field or making catches for him that allowed him to have his best practice? Well, yesterday it was Quez Watkins, so that was uh, that was a positive. I gave him my practice uh, game ball at, at Sports Illustrated, and, and he was able to do it both ways. He got behind uh, Stephen Nelson for a long touchdown um, in in seven on seven drills, and he also took a bubble screen in the red zone for a touchdown. So you kind of saw that in a, in a very limited dose uh, when Quez was able to get that one touchdown and, and as a manufactured touch guy, really fast. Uh, obviously that's why I was here. Um, I know the Eagles were hoping in the, in the, in the spring that he could take a step forward and maybe work out of the slot a little bit more. Uh, but anytime you see a young player like that, uh, get some success, make some plays, gain some confidence, that's a positive, and we're right back to where we started. That's what I was talking about, Devontae. Now we're talking about, okay, who's going to play? You know, is it going to be Travis Fulgham? Is it going to be Jalen Rager, who's gotten off to a slow start due to off-the-field issues? Uh, your guy, Greg Ward, Quez Watkins. Uh, it's not going to strike fear in the heart of opposing defensive coordinators. John, if you had to rank all those guys right now outside Devonta Smith based on their camp performance, how would you rank them? Well, Jalen and Quez just got back, uh, so they haven't been working a lot. Um, so it's, you know, Quez, it, it's, it's very positive because uh, he hasn't been in team drills all that often. I, I would say Travis has been the most consistent, Travis Fulgham. Um, Jalen Rager's gotten off to a slow start, as I said. Uh, Greg Ward is kind of Greg Ward. You know what you have there. Um, and John Hightower has not really um, gotten off to a quick start. So um, I, it's a concern. You see some of the restructures the Eagles made uh, yesterday contract-wise. I, I, I got to think at some point, they're going to try to bring in a veteran receiver. Now, there's that, not that much on, on the streets, um, but, you know, there's trades. Uh, as guys begin to get cut around the league, I, I think that's a position where they're going to look to bring in somebody with some experience. That's funny you went there. I was going to get there eventually. Thanks for jumping ahead for us. Uh, you think that it's more likely the reason they did the two restructures, Derek Barnett, which is completely just cap keeping like housekeeping because his contract is uh, not going to change. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. So they're just adding voidable years to stretch money out over time. You think it's more likely for a trade guy than a contract extension type deal where they might have to give a guy some upfront money and uh, that would add to their cap? No, I, I don't think they redid the deal specifically with the eye on one particular player, whether that would be uh, uh, 
bringing somebody in from the outside or, or making a trade. I just think they understand uh, they need more cap flexibility because these things are going to pop up. Uh, if it works out, um, I don't know how they get sort of a, a you know, Dallas Goddard extension done until they figure out what they're going to do with Zach Ertz uh, to begin with. And that would obviously uh, give them cap space for that. Uh, as opposed to some of these other guys, <clears throat> you got you got to be very careful um, with uh, Jordan Mailata uh, because, I mean, it, it. I will say this about Jordan. If he wins the starting job and plays well, I mean, he is gonna he is gonna make a boatload of money. I mean, just a boatload of money, and I think the Eagles have to be aware of that. So if they can get something team friendly done, uh, then we've talked a lot about Josh Sweat and Derek Barnett, and and and, and they've both been really impressive. But I, I've said that Josh has been the best player in camp. I truly believe that. You know, maybe they want to get them both back because you got to be realistic about Brandon Graham. He can't continue to play at his level for many more years. Can't keep counting on that. So you have to get younger. So they have a lot of work to do. And this is just sort of one of those stops, you know, rest stops along the way. Uh, they got a, They got a lot of decisions to make over the next year and moving into 2022. Now, John... I'm with you. I think they, if they look for a veteran receiver, it's got to be the trade market because the two best available in free agency I see are, you know, it's basically kicking the hornet's nest at this point. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey and Golden Tate. They don't even consider those two, right? Um, I would think not. I, I would think certainly not um, <clears throat> Golden Tate. You know, I, I think people would think the other. Um from Alshon's perspective, I mean, he's the type of receiver they need. Uh, the big body guy, the, 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 the X receiver, um, you know, the old uh, regime isn't here. So some of that bad blood goes away. Obviously Carson Wentz isn't here. Uh, if anything, Alshon liked playing with Jalen Hurts. Um, so some of the angst and acrimony is evaporated, although probably not from the fan base. Um, but I don't know if he can run. So what, what's the point? I mean, you know, all Sean was, I don't, I don't think he gets the credit during that Super Bowl season, uh, playing through the, the shoulder injury. Um, he was a really successful signing early for the Eagles and obviously it went off the rails late. Um, but yeah, I just don't think he's got much left. It, so it, to me, it has more to do about that. JM, uh, like a good basketball player, at times when you're covering the team at practice, you got to have your head on a swivel. Yeah, you're watching the main action, but guys are working out and doing drills around the facility. So you got to be able to see a bunch of things at once. Uh, when Jordan Mailata was dominating in drills yesterday, were you able to, with your head on a swivel, spot Howie Roseman and see what Howie Roseman was actually watching or doing, uh, you kind of uh, uh, let us down the path of oh, it could get costly, but it's it's how we catching it. Yeah, I've had oh, this discussion we a lot with Howie. One of the reasons, one of the reasons I think that uh, uh, 
Andre Dillard has a bigger chance than most people think is because of Howie Roseman, uh, because yeah. uh, he's a first round pick. And I've explained that, you know, other people have pointed out, well, yeah, but Jordan Mailata is a seventh round pick that they got from ground zero. That's on his record as well. So either way, he looks good. And I get that. But anybody who follows this league knows first round pick, you got to hit on your first round picks. Yeah, everybody will forget about the later round picks, good, bad, indifferent. But if you miss on your your top picks as a as an NFL GM, you're going to get in trouble pretty quickly. Now, as far as individual goes, I I, I went and digged out because I remember this quote uh, about Jeff Stoutland. Jeff Stoutland hates individual drills, hates them because he knows everybody likes them. He knows everybody pays attention to them. He knows everybody overblows them. So he went on this long rant last year. And ironically, I think it was about Jordan Mailata. I have to double check on that because for years, Joe Osman would just boat race Jordan his first three. I mean, he would just beat him like a drum in individual drills. And that's where Stout got it, you know, frustrated. He's like, everything is against the offensive line in individual drills. There's no, there's no threat of a running play. There's no threat of a draw. There's no threat of a misdirection. You're just out there on an island. You're supposed to lose. I always say the context of these drills, I think I mentioned it, mentioned it on yesterday's show. On seven on sevens, you're supposed to complete passes. You're supposed to. Uh, when it comes to individual drills, defensive ends versus offensive tackles, if you're not winning more than your share as a defensive end, you're doing bad. That's You're supposed to win that drill. So I've seen a lot of people overblow that Jordan has been better in individual drills than Andre Dillard, which is true. However, as I said, if individual drills meant that much, Jordan wouldn't even be here right now to be in that position because Stoutland, thankfully, understands it's not about that. It's about technique. It's about getting better. It's about all that kind of thing. So I'm not saying it's a positive. Look, if you do well, you do well. It's great. But I wouldn't put too much stock into that. The stock really starts today with the pads because right. the two positions, more than anything else, you have to have pads on to see is offensive line and running back. Uh, and, and so, you know, if, if Jordan comes out there today and he's going to be with the first team, it's his day, so he's got that advantage, then you start to say, okay, he's inching ahead. Now, John, I know he hasn't been talked about much in camp, and maybe that's a good thing, but Javon Hargrave and Butcher Cox, you know, who's going to be the backup for them? Is it going to be Milton Williams, Hassan Ridgeway? And uh, follow up on that, how has Javon Hargrave looked so far? Yeah, I, I mean, the defensive line as a whole has looked great. I mean, they're so disruptive. They've been the main reason why the offense has played so poorly. I mean, they're just disruptive uh, on almost every snap. And most of it, the splashy stuff has been uh, the ends and Josh Sweat and Derek Barnett and, and, and you know, but Fletcher Cox is Fletcher Cox and, and Javon Hargrave is, is, is getting a little bit more comfortable. I think the Eagles know they're going to have a really, really good defensive line. 
And yeah, they love Milton Williams. Uh, it, it looks like their plan is to use him as more of a Brandon Graham type and that he would play both outside and inside. And Hassan Ridgeway's a, a, a player they like. They've, they've liked for years, but he always gets hurt. When he's out there, he performs well. I, I think you're only concerned about Hassan Ridgeway's can he stay on the field, bottom line. Uh, it, and inside, they don't have as much depth as outside. So that's fair. I think you need uh, Hassan Ridgeway to make this team to be out there to be healthy because you do want some depth. I don't know if, you know, any of the rookies are ready to stop up. Although, uh, I'll step up. Although I will say T.Y. McGill has looked okay as well. So uh, he's a guy who's been a stopgap in the past. They're not, as I said, on, on the edge, they're really deep. They're not quite as deep on the interior, but it's still, it's still, it's still a really good defensive line. All right, uh, J.M., with the fact that the defense took its first loss yesterday, if you're going to grade one against the other each and every single day, and you mentioned yesterday it was 4 nothing defense, good for the offense, they finally got one. Uh, Coach Gannon, a little bit more uh, outspoken yesterday at uh, camp, was he attempting to motivate his defensive guys? I, I'm sure that no one even uh, wonders or worries about the score that's kept by the head coach, but... Uh, did you see anything as far as uh, extra incentive out of the coach to motivate his defensive guys if they actually took their first loss? Now, when I when I when I say they took their first loss, I, you know, I'm probably grading on a curve. I'm probably I want to get the offensive win. It wasn't like the defense was terrible. Uh, I I think the defense has been uh, I've said it pretty consistently a lot better than I expected to see. Um, especially on the back seven. And, you know, I think it's all positive at this point for the defense. The question for me is, have they been good because the offense has been bad? You know, it's a chicken and the egg type of thing. Or are they really good? And we're going to have to wait till we see them against the Patriots or the Jets or somebody else. Now, John, Shane Sykin spoke yesterday and – I got a little giddy when he was asked. I, I forget who asked him about if they were going to use Jalen Hurts like Lamar Jackson. And he didn't deny that fact. He said, hey, we're going to play to his strengths, yada, yada, yada. And I'm thinking to myself, well, this is probably how they should use him anyway. Uh, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I've never seen that comparison. That, the, Doug Peterson made that comparison. I think draft night. Uh, it was either Doug or Andy. Um I, I've always made the Cam Newton comparison. I think that's the better comparison. Cam Newton early in his career. Because um, uh, Jalen is a Jalen is really strong. He's not I, – I don't think anybody's Lamar Jackson as far as athleticism. Um, and I've heard that terminology, Jalen's like a fullback playing quarterback. Like, he, he's – even though he's not Ben Roethlisberger's size, he's – He's, he's got that type of power to shake people off. You know, a lot has been made. Everybody saw him at Lane Johnson's uh, bro barn. Uh, he was a power lifter earlier in his life. He's just incredibly strong. Um, you know, Lamar faster than Tyreek Hill, maybe. Uh, I don't, I don't, I've never seen that comparison 
other than their quarterbacks who can run the football and, and extend plays and, and do things that way. Um, I, I, I like the cam again, not the same size, but the same type of player. Uh, I think he could be the cam Newton type, <clears throat> but you know, my concern with all those types of quarterbacks is obviously injury and, I, I, I get it. And that's why I think Lamar is a little bit different because he's so athletic, nobody ever hits him. And Cam Newton might be the most physically impressive quarterback I've ever seen. I would say him or Dante Culpepper, and they both eventually got banged up and got it. You know, it's just it's just there's a wear and tear to it. Speaking of injured quarterbacks, J.M., did anyone comment on Carson Wentz and his bad foot yesterday at Eagles camp? No, it's a new coaching staff. A whole bunch of these guys used to be Carson's teammate. Was anyone uh, waxing poetic about the Eagles' former quarterback? Now they have turned that page. And and remember, I mean, that's, the coaching staff is not going to go down that road at all. They don't have any, you know, power over conditional draft picks. So that's sort of not in their lane. Um, yeah, I mean, they want to, they don't, they don't even want to mention that name, uh, moving forward. And, and obviously they've gone in a completely different direction, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's disappointing for the Eagles and we'll see. I, it's rare that you see such a, uh, weird timetable for potential return five to 12 weeks. It's like, can't you lock it down for me? I mean, if it's five weeks, it, it you know he could get back on the field and they could get that pick. Uh, if it's twelve weeks, there's no shot basically, and I, I you know that's why it's a conditional pick. I think too many people. I try to do it, and I certainly you know we do the show too so much, Jody. I I'm sure I slip of the tongue. I I, I try to always say potentially three first round picks. Right. You never know what's going to happen. And here we are. I mean, you, you can't count that in the bank. Uh, and the NFL considers it a second round pick uh, when they talk about it, because it is a second round pick until it isn't. So if you're looking to trade those pit, that pick, you can trade it, but it's going to be valued by the team receiving it as a second round pick. Following up on the Wentz thing, uh, John, the Colts said, this foot injury might have been since high school. Like, how do yeah. the Eagles go five years without knowing this? Well, it, it's one of those things where it wasn't an issue. I mean, he didn't have any pain. So, I mean, I know people like to kill the Eagles medical staff. Um, you know, <laughs> if you're a player and you're not complaining about your foot, well, they're not looking at your foot. I mean, you know, I – they could do a body scan, I guess. I don't think I, I, you know, somebody could study. I don't, I can't blame that. If you're not complaining about an injury, if you have no pain, they're not going to look at the area. Um, and that's what the Colts said as well, I think. So, I mean, yeah, I, it, it obviously got dislodged uh, and it became an issue. Um, and remember, when the Eagles, if you want to kill the Eagles medical staff, remember they traded them. The Colts had to look at his medicals as well, and they didn't pick it up uh, because it wasn't an issue until it was an issue. 
All right, then uh, all three Bears quarterbacks spoke at camp yesterday. And uh, I fired up. I tweeted about this uh, back on, oh, it was Sunday. I said, the one potentially available backup quarterback in the NFL who will not be going in to lend the Colts a hand is Nick Foles. Because Frank Reich was here. He knows the after story. He dealt with it. Not as hands-on as the coaching staff that stuck around. But he knows how it all played out. There's no way he's opening up that door. Nick Foles tried to open up that door that he only wants to go play for people that he knows if he's going to be traded by the Bears, a.k.a. Frank Reich. There's no way the Colts go down that road. Is there, Johnny Mac? I don't think so. But I don't I don't think so. Similar to all Sean Jeffrey here. I don't think so because I don't think Nick can uh, play anymore, um, at least at a high level. Uh, I mean, I guess, and that's what Nick said. Um, you know, Frank Reich rebuilt the offense, and he did, by the way. But you also give John DiFilippo credit for that. He should have given him credit for that as well. Those were the two guys who completely rebuilt the offense around what Nick Foles could do well. Um, so I understand his desire to get there. I, I do think, you know, Nick Foles and Carson Wentz are friends. I mean, flat out. I, I, I mean, if people think that there's – personal animosity between those two there is not um carson had difficulty in the way others uh perceived uh nick Foles and the fact that they gave him credit for um something that he had a large hand in i think so that i think that was more of a personal uh thing from carson's perspective but yeah i, I don't think it's a fit because I mean, Nick has not played well since he left Philadelphia. And I, I don't see that change. I mean, I love Frank Reich like everybody else loves Frank Reich. Great person, uh, great guy, good coach. Do people think he's got a magic wand? I, I don't, I, don't I, I mean, I don't know. It's a little bit too much pressure on Frank Reich to expect him to get Every struggling quarterback. Oh, it'll be great under Frank Wright. All right. One quickie, last quickie for me, Johnny. Um, you mentioned that Nick and Carson Wentz are actually pretty good friends. How would you describe the relationship between Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts? I would say it was non-existent. Um, you know, I and I don't know if <laughs> that's probably a little bit too harsh, but uh, I, I don't. No, the pandemic had a lot to do with that. I mean, there was no off season. The guys weren't together. Um, there was just no bond. Uh, he was obviously happy that he was not here. I'm sure it would have been better if it was a typical environment and guys got to know each other and were sitting in the same room. Uh, but because of the unique circumstances, coupled with the fact that he wasn't happy that he got drafted at his position. Yeah, I, I you know business-like would be the way, I guess, the best way to describe it. Yeah, John, last one for me. You said about the Carson Wentz, Jalen Hurts thing. When do you think that all kind of, you know, the team kind of rallied toward Jalen Hurts, I guess. It, it seemed like it happened earlier than when he actually became the starting quarterback. I, I think with the younger players it did, um, um, yeah, there were a lot of guys who defended Carson to the end, mostly veteran. I think it was a generational thing. And I think, and I've talked about a lot, I think Jalen is just more 
uh, naturally reaching out to others. I mean, one thing Jalen Hurts is very cognizant of is that he understands if he's going to be the on-field leader of this team, he has to he has to be involved with everybody. Not not only the the other quarterbacks and the skill position guys and the offensive line, but the defense. Uh, and 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 you know just communicating with them, and Carson was very focused on his job, laser focused, uh, didn't go out of his way to sort of ingratiate himself to everyone. Uh, just different styles, and I think Jalen's is more conducive to getting everyone on board, so to speak. J Mac, would you draw that uh, generational line? right at those who won the Super Bowl and those who came after the Super Bowl rings had been given out? Probably, mostly, I would say, yeah, 90, 95%, certainly. But I always say, you know, and I say this all the time. You've heard me say it, Jody. The next 90 people I meet aren't going to like me. In fact, if I get to 46, I'm happy. If I get (laughs) above 50%, I, I find it, astonishing that people think all 90 people are going to like each other at all times. It's just common sense. It's like any workplace. There's personality uh, differences and it could be as simple as you don't like somebody's music or blah, blah, blah. I mean, I I think people overblow that kind of stuff. Well, see, you're right at 50% right now because Carl likes and I don't. So you're right there on that 50% <laughs> yeah. line, John. Good yeah, job. I, I thought I was 0 for 2. So I'm <laughs> <laughs> JM, we know you got to get to practice, brother. We will talk to you again tomorrow morning. Don't get hit on the sideline, okay? Uh, you got a you got a mobile t-shirt on. You're going to be wearing shorts just in case a play comes your way. Buddy, my old buddy Pete Thompson, if you know him, he got hit on the sidelines, broke his leg. I got my head on the swivel. I know I'm getting old. I need some extra, extra time. I pay attention. Well, make sure you're standing next to Kratz. He's a big guy. He'll take the hit if that's the case. Uh, Johnny, good stuff. Always a pleasure, bud. We'll talk to you tomorrow morning. All right. Thanks, guys. John McMullen, uh, usual co-host. Jeff Kerr doing a standout job filling in for him. Except he likes McMullen, which we're all trying to figure out, but that's okay. All right, uh, we'll come back. We'll continue to talk some Eagles. We got a good guest coming up for hour number two. Keep it right here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. 
It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. It is Birds 365, your everyday Eagles conversation YouTube show on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. Uh, Mac and Jeff here on Bird 365 today. Jeff Carroll in for John McMullen, who just bid us at you. He's heading down to Eagles camp. Uh, we punch Johnny up uh, before Jeff and I get to start to kick things back and forth each and every single day. So no full well. J-Mac will be here again uh, at the start of the show again tomorrow because he can't miss out on anything that the coach may say, who's now meeting prior to uh, the uh, start of practices. And yesterday, prior to the Eagles, hadn't quite put out yet how much time Devonta Smith was going to miss with his knee sprain. That actually leaked out while practice was ongoing, so they didn't get a, a real chance to ask and or grill the head coach about it. Uh, they're saying a couple of weeks, and the exact, I think, uh, chapter number was two to three weeks which is uh, a little con disconcerting if you're an Eagle fan. I, I wish we could have more definitive stances on this. Jeff, I will readily admit I am a complete jerk when it comes to this stuff. There's two people that I'm unfair to. Medical team doctors and weather people. I want to know exactly what it's going to be like. Give me the exact degrees. Give me the exact time that it's going to start to rain or snow. I expect that. And it's unfair to expect that. And the same thing with team doctors. How many practices is he going to miss? How many games is he going to miss? How many snaps is he going to be out? We want to know exactly what it is. And it's completely unfair to ask that. And I relatively admit that. Um, so I have no idea how much time Devonta Smith is going to miss. How big a setback is that for a rookie wide receiver? Well, I would like to see him play in some preseason games, Jody. I, I don't know we're actually going to see that now. That's why I asked John that question earlier, because maybe he could be back by the third preseason game. But 
from what I was told, that third preseason game is basically going to be the fourth preseason game. So it doesn't look like we're going to see him at all in the preseason. I just want to see the guy get some game reps and, you know, just play against NFL caliber defensive backs. I know you're not going to see that all the time, but you still want to see him go out there and catch a pass or two from Jalen Hurts and call the day. I don't think we're going to see that now. I don't even know we're going to see him in the joint practices with the Patriots and the Jets coming up in a couple weeks. So that's what's more concerning to me. I don't think it's going to set him back as much because I think he's a polished player. I think he knows what he has to do. But in getting used to the daily grind of the NFL lifestyle, which from every rookie I talked to last year said that was the biggest thing. And, you know, COVID just added on to that. But that's what's going to be concerning for me. I don't want him getting off to a slow start to the season because he's missing a couple weeks in camp. Here's the reason when I first heard that uh, he did get injured in uh, practice and we didn't know how much it was going to be because uh, the point came out, he, he left the field during practice. Was he going to come back later in the practice? Will you be good to go the next day? We now know the uh, severity of the injury. The first time I heard it, the reason why I just shook my head was because I knew it was going to bring back the Devonta Smith doubters. Because when the Eagles moved up from number 12 to number 10 to take them and did a deal with the Cowboys, which some Eagle fans just can never stomach, we shouldn't even exist, uh, acknowledge the existence of the Cowboys, let alone do a first-round draft pick trade for them, with them. Um, I knew that uh, it was going to start the C, 166-pound guys can't play in the National Football League. That's why I specifically asked John about the play on which he got hurt. John said, at least per his view, and again, it was a time when no one was allowed to videotape, so uh, we don't know 100%. I wanted John's uh, on-site perception. He thought it was a non-contact injury. Anyone can have a non-contact injury. It doesn't matter whether you're 166 pounds or 366 pounds. You can have a non-contact injury. So uh, I'm just waiting. I didn't get any of those calls last night. Thank you on WIP. But I have gotten a couple tweets who are already saying, see, I told you, Devontae Smith, you can't play at that size in the National Football League. Yeah, you can. Yeah, he's going to be fine. Yeah, he's going to be their best wide receiver. Yeah, he's going to be the guy who actually goes above 600 yards this year, something an Eagle wide receiver hasn't done in two years. And he may even challenge for a thousand yards this year. Uh, I'm, I'm, if uh, Devonta Smith goes down and he is hurt for a serious amount of time and misses regular season action. And at the end of the year, we do say, yeah, the injury cost him his season. Yeah. That's a hell I'm going to die on. Yeah, exactly. And, for all the people that say, well, you can't play in the NFL 166 pounds. Wait a minute. This guy was playing against LSU, Auburn, Florida, all these big-time schools last year who, by the way, you know, they played a full season. It wasn't like – they weren't like the Big Ten who played nine games. They played 12, 14 games. They played the whole year. I mean, it was pretty much – I don't want to say a normal year in the SEC, but because they didn't play that week 14 pansy game that they always play. But – they play the full conference schedule, and Devonta Smith was beyond impressive. I, I watched every Alabama game last year just because I'm amazed by all the NFL talent they have on that field. And Devonta Smith was the best of the best last year. It wasn't even close. Like, Jalen Wall was really good, but Devonta Smith was just catching passes left and right all year. Even And then when Wall got hurt, I wanted to see how good this kid really was. Well, 
he was as good as advertised. And I, I used to work for 24 seven sports. I know how highly those guys thought of Devonta Smith when he was in high school. Wade was never a thing. It was not even when he was a freshman at Alabama. It was okay. Yeah. He's skinny. Big, big deal. The guy catches everything. and He takes a lot of hits. Again, that, that's why I thought it was a good question, Jody, because we weren't exactly sure where it was. Contact, non-contact, I just heard he dove for a ball and, you know, he came up gingerly. You know, that's pretty much what it was from a couple of recollections of the play. But overall, I am not – I'll die on the hill with you. I do not think that being 5'11", 166 pounds is going to – I'm sorry, he's not 5'11", he's taller than that. Uh, I'm thinking Tyreek Hill here. But, you know – I don't think his weight is going to be that big of an issue. I, I, I really don't. I, I just, especially in today's NFL, the guy can take a hit and you can't really hit receivers the way you used to anyway. So overall, I think when he does suffer injuries and everybody does in the national football league, it's just the way it is. I just think it's going to be non-contact. If you're going to overanalyze the play that he got hurt on, which uh, people do all the time, be more concerned to the fact that it was a low pass that he was trying to make a play on a bad Jalen Hurts pass uh, rather than the fact that uh, he took some kind of hit and his body is not going to be able to withstand uh, and sustain in the National Football League had very little to do with that. That's the bad news. Good news is, as John pointed out, best passing day so far in camp uh, for Jalen Hurts was yesterday, and he certainly did it without Devonta Smith. So the rest of the wide receivers on the Philadelphia Eagles, and you all know who you are, um, actually came up big. Quez Watkins flashed a little bit. They're going to need that just in case if uh, Smith isn't 100% up to speed because he does miss the entire preseason. He's going to need some lieutenants by his side for the first couple of weeks of the season. That might be the case. Good to see a couple of the other wide receivers who have yet to establish themselves much uh, over certainly over the course of a season, Fulgham for about three or four weeks. Um, good to see a couple of those guys step up for uh, her chest today. Yeah, when John told me Travis Fulgham has been consistent, that's honestly what I want to hear. He's been consistent. Hasn't been great, hasn't been terrible, because they need a consistent threat out there. And Travis Fulgham could give you three, four catches a game and make a play or two. I think that's realistically what you can ask from him. I, I know that that five-week stretch was something the Eagles haven't seen since Terrell Owens. I don't think he's that type of player, but I do think he can play in the National Football League for a former six-round pick. So when he said consistent, that was a sigh of relief for, for me anyway. It's Jalen Rager. He's got to be the guy that has to play up to that first-round billing. And, you know, as John pointed out, Fonte Dillard, Rager's going to get every opportunity because he is a, a former first-round pick. And, you know, he I don't think his chemistry with Carson Wentz was that great last year on and off the field. Uh, I, I just – you know, they just they they just seemed out of tune, honestly. So I'm looking at that. I I feel Jalen Rager was a lot better when Jalen Hurts was his quarterback, and he's going to have to be that deep threat. He's going to have to step up in Devonta Smith's absence, and you, you we're going to have to see this in the preseason. And I do like how Quez Watkins is you know kind of stepping up to the play a little bit. I think someone else needs to go up in there too, like John Hightower. I'm not expecting much out of him, quite honestly. If Honestly, Jody, if you had to pick between John Hightower and Greg Ward to make this team, I would pick Greg Ward. Yeah, you know I'm a Greg Ward fan, so uh, that that goes without saying. And uh, he missed a couple of practices as well. So without Devonta Smith, all these guys will get their chance to show that they should be a contributing member of this football team. All right, I want to jump back into something else that we talked with. 
Johnny Mac about. That's the battle at left tackle between uh, the guy who I think uh, is in the lead right now. And what do I know? I'm not there at practice. Certainly John's got a better read on it because he is down there. It seems like uh, most people reporting that Mylotta is getting the better of Dillard at this point. There are a lot of ways that you can parse this, a lot of ways you can look at it. I believe what John told us today about don't overestimate the individual trills, the defensive linemen against the offensive linemen, mano a mano, one-on-one. It's much more important what happens in team drills. I, I think he's got a very good read on that. But here's one thing that I think is kind of being overstated. And tell me if you're with me on this or if you disagree. Um, some people have speculated that because my ladder has the ability to move and play both left tackle and right tackle, that that may have the Eagles leaning toward Dillard as the starter because when they moved him to right tackle last year, it was, or two years ago, excuse me, he didn't play at all last year. Uh, it was such a disaster uh, that they don't see him with positional flexibility that he is solely a left tackle. Well, I think that's a, a back-assward way to look at it. Here's what you do. Pick the best guy. It's your starting left tackle position. It should have nothing to do with, oh, if we had to move him, who would be more easily moved? No, 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 no. Pick the best guy. And if that's Dylan, so be it. If it's my lot, so be it. The fact that one guy can and the other guy isn't as capable of moving to a new position as like this much in the decision of who's going to be the left tackle, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, how do you think Jeff Stoutland looks at it? How do you think the Eagles look at it? I'm going to go back to the old Doug Pearson saying, I think it was from 2016. I am not weakening two positions on the offensive line for one player because I want to move them. So I look at it as you do pick the best player. Uh, if Andre Dillard sits the bench as the backup left tackle, so be it. If Lane Johnson were to get hurt, you could move Jordan Mulata to the right side and put Andre Dillard on the left side. But again, yeah, you're fixing the right side, but is the left side that much better? Well, no, you got to protect the quarterback's blind side. So, you got to keep Jordan Mulata there. It's I agree with you, Joe. You got to pick the best player here. I don't care if he's a first round pick, a seventh round pick. If we want to go way back, a twelfth round pick, I don't care. Pick the best player now. Andre Diller put himself in this situation. He could have locked up this left tackle spot two years ago. He could have locked it up last year. I know he had an elbow injury and got hurt, but the fact remains he gave Jordan Mulata a chance to play and showcase his stuff and. He did much better than I thought he was going to do last year. I wasn't even sure if he knew the game of football just because we haven't seen him much on the field in 2018 and 2019. So he was such a wild card last year, and he ended up playing to at least a fraction of that potential he has. And I got to give Jordan Milana a ton of credit there. And Jordan Milana just looks like he's going to be a a good left tackle in the National Football League. He says all the right things. He's not concerned about the money. I mean, I'm sure he will be when contract comes, but you know, he's he's got that hungry dog mentality that Lane Johnson always talks about. He he seems to be that guy where he's a nice guy, smiles a lot, but when he gets his hand in the dirt, all he sees is the defensive lineman and he just wants to beat the crap out of him. And I'm not sure if Andre Dillard has that mean streak or not. We haven't seen it yet. We know we've heard about his Derek Barnett incident, you know, a couple times now. I guess he's gotten tougher with that. I don't know. But what I do know is Jordan Mulata has the results and can only get better. I think you're taking a big risk if you decide to play Andre Dillard over him. And if Howie Roseman is worried about how uh, his 
uh, decision-making process with the left tackle is going to be questioned if Mylotta gets the job over Dillard. How he's got his resources. Uh, they've got PhiladelphiaEagles.com, which a ton of Eagle fans are on every single day. And uh, you can certainly uh, plant the seed with the individuals who are writing stories and doing features and putting video up. Oh, you can make Jordan Mylotta look like one of the uh, ingenious finds in the National Football League over the last five years. And now he's even got his sources outside the building uh, that aren't Philadelphia Eagle employees, but he gives certain insights and uh, inside information to, and he can spin it however he wants. It's not going to be like, oh my God, if Dillard doesn't win the left tackle, Howie Roseman should be fired. The, the UN chance is already out there for Howie Roseman with a certain percentage of the Eagle population. It's not going to get that much bigger because Jordan Mailata wins the job at left tackle. I think that's another aspect of it that's somewhat being overstated or overestimated. Oh, Howie Roseman is going to have a big hand deciding on who the left tackle is going to be. What's he going to do? Howie's got control of the 53. Is he going to go down and dictate to Jeff Stoutland? I don't think so. Is he going to actually not put one of the guys on the 53 to make a point? I don't think so. I think this is going to be a true competition and made the best man win. And at least per most of the people's reporting so far in camp, that best man has been Jordan Mailata. Yeah. And Howie Roseman needs to take a page out of Steve Kahn's playbook too. I remember when Steve Kahn drafted Josh Rosen with the temper overall pick in what was it? 2018. And they just got rid of him after a year. You know, they were even worse and he wasn't any good. And Kahn basically took his loss and said, Terrible pick. Um, we'll go draft Kyler Murray and we'll hire Cliff Kingsbury and we'll hit the reset button. Trade Josh Rosen somehow got a second round pick for the guy. And he was cut by the Dolphins last year. And now he's on the 49ers just battling with Nate Subfell for a roster spot. So, again, you know, you got to take your losses in this league. And I think when you own up to your mistakes, I think that's how you last as a general manager. That's why I think Steve Kime is still in Arizona. Like he's already admitting he made a mistake signing Jordan Hicks. To a four-year, thirty-six million dollar deal by drafting Zayvon Collins, and Jordan Hicks has been pretty good for that. That yeah, again, it's it's just the nature of the beast. And Rosen's got to look at it and say, "Hey, look, you know what? I was smart enough to find this guy in the seventh round when no one ever heard of him. You know, Jordan Milano, who's that guy? Well, guess what? Turned out being a good find for you, uh, Jason Kelsey, six round, six round pick. Again, that's a good find for you. Uh, yeah, no, and McMullen's right. No one ever." wants to mention that when it comes to these late round draft picks you find, because they're, they're always a hit or miss anyway. If you find one great, but everybody remembers your first round picks. Well, if Miles Sanders becomes a five-time pro bowler and a two-time all pro, are you really going to remember the other second round pick in that draft? JJ Ortega Whiteside? Probably not. I mean, some people are because of the success of DK Metcalf, but the Arizona Cardinals passed on him too. And so did the Indianapolis Colts. I'm sure that they're hitting their heads on, on the wall that they passed on him. So again, it's, you know, it is what it is. You know, Justin Jefferson is going to be a really good football player for a long time. And Howie Roseman probably is, you know, he's kicking his brains about that too. But if Jalen Rager becomes a solid player, I'll live with it. It's just the way it is. It's the nature of the beast, honestly, John. I mean, Jody. And, you know, Roseman's just got to take his lumps here. If Andre Diller doesn't pan out, he doesn't pan out. And, oh, by the way, on our stream uh, from our buddy Riga Mortis, uh, says, fire Howie anyway. See, Howie's got his detractors, and they're already out there with their pitchforks, and they're in full uh, timber. 
yeah, they're going to call for Howie. They're, they're just not going to be that many swinging over if Jordan Mailata wins the left tackle position. My read on it from outside the Eagle organization. All right, Jeff Kirk, Jordan McDonald, hang with you. We'll come back. I do want to ask Jeff his take on the Eagles restructuring a couple of contracts yesterday. Something should be afoot is at least the way I look at it. I'll get Jeff's take on it. Um, we'll go all around the National Football League with our second guest in hour number two. Keep it right here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Mac and Mac hanging with you, but it's not Mac and Mac today. It's Mac and Jeff or Mac and Kirk. 
any way you slice it, uh, Jeff Carr in for John McMullen. If you missed J-Mac this morning, he was on, uh, in case you haven't picked it up on uh, the last couple of days here on Birds 365. Uh, the Eagles changed their practice schedule around a little bit. The coach talks before practice now, uh, so J-Mac needs to get down there a little bit earlier. So uh, he's been jumping on with us as the show starts at 8 o'clock to give him plenty of time to get down to practice. So if you need your McMullen fill, you already got it today. Here's the beauty of YouTube. You just go back and watch it afterwards. We do appreciate you guys who tune in live with us. Thanks for doing so today as uh, Jeff and I chat you up. Coming up next hour, we're going to have a compatriot of uh, Jeff's. Uh, Tyler Sullivan, who covers the entire league, a little bit of a lean toward the AFC East. He's going to hop aboard with us in hour number two. All right. As I uh, said before we went to break, um, Jeff, Eagles surprisingly to me yesterday decided to redo a couple of contracts. And and let's uh, get this on the record for Eagle fans so they understand. Certain contracts can be adjusted and you don't even have to consult the player. You can just make adjustments to the contract. It usually means more upfront money for the players. So players never argue about that. Well, you're going to give me more money in advance? Okay, yeah, sure, fine. And they did that with two players yesterday, Derek Barnett and Lane Johnson. And we've been waiting all offseason for Lane Johnson to get his contract redone because he's got enough money in it and it goes long enough that there was the ability to move money around and create cap space in this year if they wanted to they chose to do it at this time they finally got around to redoing lane's contract um usually when you do something like that you do it for a reason um there is a price to be paid down the road if lane johnson gets hurt again and this time it's an even bigger injury and Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Lane Johnson's career is cut short. The Eagles are going to pay a price for what they did yesterday because down the road, they're going to have to make that up under the cap in a future year. So that has to be a method to their madness as to why they do it now. What do you think it is? Well, they're obviously doing something or they are putting themselves in position to do something, Jody, because now all of a sudden they have $14 million available in cap space from the Derek Barnett and Lane Johnson booth. And Derek Barnett didn't surprise me either because he's making $10.5 this year. So I, I think what the Eagles are going to do is they're going to look at the trade market and see, hey, look, what can what veteran wide receiver can we add in here? Can we add a veteran receiver to help these young guys out? Because let's face it, their wide receiver core is ridiculously young. There, there are no veterans on this roster uh, in terms of wide receiver. Uh, who's their veteran right now? Is it Travis Fogel? I mean, really, that's... That's it. I, I think it's, you know, Jalen Rager was 2020. John Hightower's 2020. Plus, well, Greg Ward's a veteran. <laughs> Greg Ward's a veteran. He was an undrafted free agent who used to play quarterback. So, yeah, I think they need to get somebody in here. And I'll tell you what, Jay, there's, there's not much available in terms of free agency. I mean, I mentioned Alshon Jeffrey. I mentioned Golden Tate. I don't think they entertain those two. Um, in terms of guys who might be cut that are veterans, Alan Hearns from the Miami Dolphins, I don't see him lasting that long. Preston Williams is hurt, and they kind of like him anyway. 
the Houston Texans might have someone that's interesting. I, I mean, the Chicago Bears would have been nice with Anthony Miller, but he got traded to the Texans. But the Texans do have a couple guys in there that have had success in the league. Kiki Kuti, uh, you know, maybe Brandon Cooks gets traded again. I know Howie Roseman's been, been a fan of him for years, but I don't know how you go about that if you're Houston, unless you're finally going to unload Deshaun Watson, who, by the way, is going to practice in pads, but David Culley said nothing has changed in that regard. He's pretty much on the fourth team. So they're, they're kind of just whistling away in the back corner somewhere. So there really isn't that many available options. I, there are a couple young guys I like. I will say that. Jalen Guyton from the Los Angeles Chargers. I don't know if they would actually trade him, but they do have Mike Williams, who is a veteran. And the Eagles did like at one point going into the 2017 draft, I think it was. Um, I don't think they'll get rid of him, even though he's in the last year of his deal. Um, he has the fifth-year option. You know, obviously, Keenan Allen ain't going anywhere. So, you know, maybe how he – goes to LA and kind of looks there, but they're definitely setting themselves up to take on a certain player's salary. It's just who it's going to be. Now you specifically went to the wide receiver position. I understand why you would do something like that. Again, when you see an action like this, you believe it's a reaction for something to come up in, in rather short order. You could be thinking a week or two out, but usually it's something you're going to do relatively quickly after you make this kind of move. So it makes sense you'd look at the wide receiver position because of Devontae Smith's injury and because of the quality of the wide receiver room as of right now. Here's the question I would ask Howie Roseman, if you're right, and this is something they do via a trade and add a veteran guy who's making some money but uh, has already established himself in the league. Well, what is that guy going to actually do for the Philadelphia Eagles? We're back into the same question we asked when – they signed Ryan Kerrigan when they brought in some veteran guys. Why exactly are you doing this? This is not a Super Bowl run year for the Eagles. Sorry to tell you, Eagle fans. I know if that means you're dropping off birds 365, please come back. But I'm being honest with you. The Eagles are going to the Super Bowl this year. So if that's the case, don't you want to see more of uh, Quez Watkins? Don't you want to see more of... John Hightower. Uh, that that would be my question. If the Eagles are going to get a a middling, a professional, but a middling wide receiver, they're not going to go out and uh, pick up DeAndre Hopkins, okay? We're not talking about one of the best wide receivers in the league. They're going to add a has more experience and has a better resume than the guys we currently have on our roster kind of thing. Why? Is it going to lift the Eagles from – six and 11 to seven and nine and or eight and nine. I, I, I don't get it. What would be the main purpose on doing so? Well, I think it's for Jalen hurts. I think you have to give this quarterback every opportunity to succeed. If you truly want to find out what he is. And I got to be honest with you, not everybody's going to be Don McNabb in year two where he had Torrance small and Charles Johnson and, finished second in the MVP race because he was that good of a football player and could live with those terrible wide receivers. And, you know, it ended up having Eagles fans hating McNabb in the long run, but you don't want to see that with Jalen Hurts again because I just don't – nothing against Wes Watkins or John Hightower or any of those guys, but you're asking a lot out of them to step up and contribute like – a Jalen Guyton would or a Mike Williams or an Alan Hearns or, you know, and, and those guys are probably better than Alan Hearns. If I want to be quite honest with you, but these veterans have been around the league. They've had 
some varying degree of success. I'm not saying those guys, you know, Quez Watkins has scored a touchdown in the Arizona Cardinals game. Okay, big deal. And I get one to develop young players, but I think you need a veteran mentor in there somewhere, uh, somewhere on this roster. And maybe that will be something that takes the pressure off of those guys. Maybe having somebody in there that can just be reliable and catch passes will help that. And it will also help the quarterback because, yeah, the quarterback wants to develop with these guys, but at the end of the day, if these guys aren't any good and if his completion percentage is down, do you really want to hear the, see, he only completes 52.9% of his passes because he's not a good quarterback? Well, no, look at what's around him. Uh, Jeff, I don't know about you, but I check the uh, wire every single day. I have a couple of different websites that are pretty good at listing injuries in the National Football League. Um, there's no official designation as of right now. Carson Wentz isn't on an injured list. He just isn't capable of playing of five to 12 weeks. Nothing like seven weeks that you can drive a truck through as to how long a guy's going to be out. Yeah, but that's me taking an unfair shot at medical people around the league again. I apologize. Uh, uh, sorry. It was just a hanging curve that I'd take a swing at. Um, but I do try and stay up on it every single day. And one of the positions I always gravitate to is, tight end. We know that Howie Roseman is playing the waiting game and just waiting for a very good team with a uh, above average tight end, having that tight end go down, actually be put on an injured list like the public can't play, going to be out for the entire season that would then give the Eagles an ability to make a call and try and uh, move Zach Ertz to a team like that. Hasn't happened yet and I get it. It's kind of frustrating if you're an Eagle fan. Well, is Zach going to be here or isn't Zach going to be here? It's what it is. The Eagles are waiting to hit the lottery like they did uh, a couple of years ago with the quarterback that they were able to move to the Vikings, uh, Sammy Sleeves, for a first-round draft pick. Uh, No new news on that front uh, yesterday. No injuries to any tight ends around the National Football League. I know you haven't been down yet. I haven't been down there yet. We've asked John about it. I don't know if it changes on a day-in, day-out basis, but at what point do you think it becomes uncomfortable at Eagles camp? Because they're all smiling, putting a smile face on now and going through the motions. But at some point, the Eagles are going to have to make a call on it. Zach's going to have to realize, oh, shoot, they're not trading me. When does the you-know-what hit the fan? I think not now. I, uh, too early. I'll say between that third preseason game and the start of the regular season, when there's like, they got 12 it's almost like they got 12 days off now because the fourth preseason week is pretty much the last week of camp and then they give these guys an extended break I think that's when you're going to see a lot of roster fluctuation a lot of trades around the league because there's going to be so much time these CMs are going to want to put together the best 53 man roster possible and so you're Zach Ertz you're probably thinking oh man it's time to get traded you know someone's going to need me and I'll tell you what, I I know there's a certain market out in the desert that really kind of wants Zach Ertz, and that's the Arizona Cardinals. And they have an overabundance of wide receivers right now. And because I'm on a talk show, I'm going to speculate here. Uh, Rondell Moore has had a really, really good camp. And I love that draft pick in the second round by the Cardinals. And they have no, you had no chance to get Rondell Moore for Zach. No, 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 no. no, I'm not even mentioning him. I'm saying he's out playing. Andy Isabella, a former second-round pick. Christian Kirk is in the last year of his contract. So you can't play – and you signed A.J. Green. You got DeAndre Hopkins. You can't play everybody. So I'm beginning is, to wonder 
one of those guys may be available. Is Kirk already in his fourth year in the league? Yeah, uh, drafted in 2018. So, yeah. Damn, you're... doesn't seem like it. Yeah, remember when the Eagles were really high on him? Like, it was – I can't believe it was that long ago. So, you know, maybe they kick the tires a bit and say, hey, you know what, we'll – how do you guys feel about him? Is he losing playing time? If not, Rondell Moore is going to play for that. I'm going to tell you right now, Rondell Moore is a stud. He he's going to be in that offense. And the, one thing the Cardinals do play a lot of four wide receiver sets. They were by far the number one team in four wide receiver sets last year. But Andy Isabella's falling out of favor there. AJ Green ain't going anywhere. DeAndre Hopkins ain't going anywhere. Oh, and by the way, Larry Fitzgerald may come back, so that may throw a wrench into a lot of plans too. So. Someone on that team is going to be – I have a feeling it's going to be Isabella. I think they would trade him for, a, you know, a bag of footballs at this point. But, again, he did average 20 yards per catch two seasons ago. So, it's not far-fetched to actually, you know, inquire on him. Wow. You just uh, did a shine-the-light moment for me. <laughs> Larry Fitzgerald. We've been talking about Eagles and veteran wide receivers. Could they go out and get somebody? There's not a whole lot left on the open market as far as slim pickings for wide receivers go. But there is Larry Fitzgerald. And I know he's almost as old as I am. I think he's older than you, Jeff Kerr. Uh, He's been around a long time. I get it. But even last year, he was still productive. He's not top of the league productive, arguably at one point in his career, top two or three wide receiver in the entire National Football League. But if he still does want to play and the Cardinals haven't brought him into camp, he's got to read into that. I I know he's been a West Coast guy, but he was originally a Pittsburgh guy. Could Larry Fitzgerald come back to the state of Pennsylvania? Larry Fitzgerald's so old, I remember watching him at Heinz Field. That's how, you know, I don't want to show anybody's age here, but I think it's Arizona or a bust for him. I think he's set – how can I put it in words? He spent on basically playing his whole career in Arizona. So, but you never know. A team that has Super Bowl hopes, I think that changes. Um, the Cardinals are in much better shape to win the Super Bowl this year than the Eagles are, and they're in a much tougher division. So, I, you know, again, maybe the Eagles offer him money, and I, I don't think money is an issue with Larry Fitzgerald, but I think Larry Fitzgerald's looking for two things, playing time and Super Bowl chances. And playing time could be a big thing for him because his snap count significantly decreased last year just because of how good Arizona was at the wide receiver position. DeAndre Hopkins took away a lot from him, and Christian Kirk took away a lot. And, again, he just didn't get the target share he's used to getting. But he's, as you point out, he's still not a bad football player. In Philadelphia, he's going to play if he would come here. Uh, I don't think he would. I don't think he'll come here. That's but. the one thing the Eagles can can give him that uh, uh, probably not too many teams can, and it's so hard. And uh, again, this is the way I would look at it if I were general manager. Don't know if Howie Roseman does. I don't want to dictate to my coach. I want to be on the same page with my coach. I want to be able to sit down and have a conversation with him and say, "Would you have a problem if, while I'm negotiating with this player, I were to say, listen, you're gonna play.'" A minimum of 50 to 60% of the steps that we have. I, I, if I were the GM, I'd need my coach to tell me that I could make that statement. I wouldn't just go out there and make it to a player, make him that promise, and then once we get him inside, go, oh, yeah, by the way, coach, I promised him he was going to play 60% of the snaps, 
and no, that's just the wrong way to do business. Uh, some general managers have the gravitas to do things like dictate. And I know Nick Sirianni is a first-year coach, but I wouldn't do that to him. But that's me. Um, they could make that kind of promise to a guy like Larry Fitzgerald. Now, money, they just freed up some, so they could probably give him a little bit more than almost every other team in the league. A Super Bowl possibility this year? All right. How, how good a salesman are you? You have to be a real good one to be able to talk him into that. Um, what do you think? Do you think I, – I get it. I think you have already explained it. Staying with Arizona, finishing with Arizona, priority one. Where did the other priorities of ability to get on the field and still make catches add to his overall total for his career – Put some more money in his pockets. Made plenty during his career, but little good check going out the door would be fine. And or uh, taking a run at a Super Bowl. How would you prioritize those other three things, do you think, in the mind of Larry Fitzgerald? Well, if I'm Larry Fitzgerald, I've never – I've only been in a Super Bowl once, and I played probably the best game of my life in that Super Bowl when they still lost. And Arizona really hasn't been close since. I, I, I guess, you know, they made the NFC Championship game that year with Carson Palmer and Bruce Arians was a coach, but – Outside of that, it's they haven't really made the playoffs much. They haven't made the playoffs, I think, since that. So that was 2015. So I would be thinking Super Bowl. I would think, okay, what team gives me the best chance to win? If, if Kansas City came calling, I think I'd run there in a second. You know, I'd be like, don't even pick me up. I'll walk there. And that's how much I would want to go play for a team like that. Buffalo Bills, same thing. It's it's the same situation. So I would definitely look at Super Bowl chances first. Second would be. You are close to – I think he's second all-time in receptions. I, I got to look this up. But he is close to being second in pretty much everything. And I think if he played all 16 games this year and had a catch, he would break Rice's record for most consecutive games with a reception. So I think that's something that is in the back of his mind. You know, I can make a catch. All I got to do is, you know, I've made two-yard catches in the past. He's had games where he's had one catch for one yard. So I, I think that would be something he would look at because – his legacy is already set. In my opinion, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, but I, think really, I think he really takes a lot of pride in, I spent my entire career with one team, and I didn't sell out to for the money. So I don't think money is going to be an issue. I, I think playing time would be third. But overall, I, I think if a Super Bowl contending team offered him an opportunity to win the Super Bowl, I, I think he would take that ch chance. Yeah. I really do. See, that's why I like doing the show with you, Jeff Carr, because you're honest. If you're looking at it from an Eagle perspective, you would hope that playing time is number one, because then you could actually make the argument that we could get him. Now, that's probably number three on the list, and the ones that the Eagles are less likely, have less of a capability to put on the table and make him believe are the ones that he will probably emphasize. Fun conversation, though. I hadn't thought about that. Larry Fitzgerald is an Eagle. We'll give it more thought. Not that it's going to change my mind. I don't think it's happening, but what the hell, Eagle fans, dream the dream. All right, uh, coming up next, Tyler Sullivan, one of uh, Jeff Kerr's cohorts from CBSSports.com, NFL writer, specifically AFC East guy, is going to jump aboard with us here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark the dark but i once heard someone say but as i always say it's okay to be afraid as long as you face the fear and keep moving forward wherever you are in life 
Count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Mac and Mac. Oh, no, Mac and Curry here with you today on Bird 365. Jeff Kirk filling in for John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. All right, uh, we got a guest for you here in hour number two, and I'm sure he's completely qualified to be on the show today. The one thing that almost disqualifies him, he's got way too much hair. You can't have this much hair coming on Birds 365. You got to be follically challenged. No, we're just kidding. Uh, Tyler Sullivan from CBSSports.com jumps aboard with us. How you doing, Ty? What's going on? Don't worry. It's getting thin up there. And, and <laughs> by the end of the football season, I'm sure it'll be even thinner. Not even close compared to the guys who usually host this show. But uh, thank you for suggesting at some point you'll catch up to us. Not happening. Uh, Here's the first story I want to ask you about. It wouldn't be an NFL starter season slash preseason if there weren't a team that was threatening to move the franchise to another town. It came out this weekend that that's happening in Buffalo, one of the teams that you keep a close eye on. Um, it, it rears its ugly head around the league almost on a yearly basis, if not every other year. And 
Eagle fans who have been around long enough to go back into the 80s. Yeah, it even happened here in Philadelphia that they threatened they could take the team to Arizona. So no town is ever exempt of it. Uh, how big a deal is this in Buffalo? That's a diehard fan base up there that actually have a Super Bowl contender for this year. And they got to worry about uh, Terry Pagula saying, yeah, I want you to build the entire stadium for me at a billion and a half dollars. How big a story is this around the league and specifically in Buffalo right now? And you just pointed to it. It, it, Most of the time, this revolves around building a new stadium. It's really kind of the crux of all of these threatening to move issues. I know here in New England, you know, this was a big point of contention a, a few decades ago, and it was to the point where the Patriots, before Tom Brady, before Bill Belichick even got on this run, they almost moved to St. Louis. They almost became, I believe it was the St. Louis, uh, you know, some sort of, I don't know if it was the Broncos or something like that. It, was, it looked like the Broncos logo, but, you know, it ended up not happening. They ended up building a stadium Robert Kraft did, and, you know, it's usually one of those issues, and it's usually a key ploy by these teams to say, hey, listen, if you're not going to build this stadium or you're not going to help with taxpayer money build this stadium, we'll just go someplace else because there's plenty of other cities across the country that would welcome us with open arms and and pay whatever they need to pay to get the NFL in town. One of the areas that was kind of brought up over the weekend was Austin, Texas. Now, does Jerry Jones, do the Houston Texans, do they actually like let that happen? That remains to be seen, but it is just something to point out to say, hey, listen, you know, the, the Buffalo Bills, as great of a franchise as they are, a great fan base as it is, they can leave just like any other team, as you alluded to. And now, is it a huge deal? That remains to be seen. Let, let's see how it plays out with government negotiators. Is this just a ploy by the Bills to kind of scare government officials from the fan base saying, hey, listen, you know, we don't want to be the ones that lose the Buffalo Bills when, when you know, re-election times come around. We don't want that hanging over our heads. So is that just a negotiating ploy? Is it kind of one of those tactics used by the Bills? Probably. Let's see where it, where it ultimately unfolds. But it is one of those awkward moments sitting overhead of what you, you, you just alluded to and could be a Super Bowl year for the Buffalo Bills. Tyler, I got to put on my Patriots cap on for you yesterday. I was in on Bill Belichick's press conference, and Nikhil Harry came up. And the Eagles need a wide receiver, and it doesn't look like the Patriots are actually trying to move him. Uh, Bill never gives you anything, as you know, but it seems like they've kind of mended fences there. Uh, any thoughts? Yeah, he said it as much. Pretty much, you know, it was they've had some conversations, whether it's via the agent or via the player. And Nikhil Harry said, listen, you know, I'm happy to be a Patriot right now. And I don't know if he's rescinding his trade request. I don't know if that's happening. But if something cannot get done, then I think both sides will be happy or at least amicable to go through the season together. Now, does that last if, if, you know, all of a sudden does Nikhil Harry not get the targets? That was kind of the crux of the issue of that trade request earlier this summer. If that doesn't come about, whether it's with Cam Newton or with Mac Jones, whoever starts for them this year, that, you know, we'll see what happens when it relates to how happy he is in New England. Maybe does it come around again during the trade deadline? That's something that remains to be seen, but I still wouldn't rule out a trade. I mean, I, I know New England certainly is lacking at the wide receiver position. You know, they don't really have that number one guy. They went and signed Nelson Aguilar. They signed Kendrick Bourne. But like those, you guys know, those aren't, you know, Julio Jones getting moved to New England like it was in Tennessee or anything like that. So they still need some help at that position. And they still, and Nikhil Harry is a former first rounder, certainly hasn't lived up to the expectation. But if all of a sudden they can kind of buy in and see if he can have a third year pop, 
Maybe that's something that both sides could look forward to. But ultimately, I still wouldn't rule out a trade here, especially if he's still not completely happy with his role in New England. All right. Speaking of trades, Tyler, I'll ask you to look into your uh, pigskin crystal ball here over the next uh, week, two weeks. Indianapolis Colts in the quarterback position. Found out yesterday Carson Wentz is going to have surgery after they reported, no, he's going to go rest in rehab. Took a better look and go, you know, we better get the surgery done. Could be out a couple of months, as a matter of fact, which is certainly going to go into the regular season. Colts think of themselves as a title contender for that division. Is it going to be someone from the outside of the organization? Would they make a play for Nick Foles, who kind of lobbied for it yesterday in a media availability in Chicago? Or is it going to be an Eason? They brought in Brett Hundley, who's been around the league, but for me, he's never been quite good enough. Or are they going to say, we're going to stand pat till Carson's good to go and we're still completely committed to him? How's the quarterback situation in Indy going to shake out? Well, if I'm Indianapolis, I'm doing everything I can to give Jacob Eason the the amount of time to earn the right to get the starting job, to win that job outright, because he is a young quarterback they they invested in via heavy draft capital. I believe it was a second round pick. You know, he, he that is somebody that you want to see take the position and not make you have to go go into the trade market, go after a Nick Foles and do something along those lines. So these next few weeks and a few weeks into the preseason are important, but ultimately if they don't have faith in the guy, then you do have to start dipping your toe to the trade waters. And I think Nick Foles makes a lot of sense. I mean, obviously he's not going to factor in in Chicago's quarterback situation, whether it's going to be Andy Dalton or Justin Fields. You almost forget that Nick Foles is on Chicago. So yes, that would make a ton of sense. You know, the familiarity, all of that. It's almost poetic that, you know, Carson Wentz goes down. Yep. Just bring in Nick Foles, no matter where they are. It doesn't matter what city in the NFL. That just seems to be the next step in those scenarios. But to me, I, I, I wouldn't, I would really try to see what Jacob Eason can do because he's a young guy. He gives you the highest upside. Let's just say if he's great, now you have a question of, okay, do we, what do we do with Carson Wentz now? I'll, you know, of course, we, we did you know, trade for him this offseason. It could ultimately be you know, whether it's a second or a first-round pick, depending on his play scale this season. But ultimately, I would give Jacob Eason the best possible chance to do it. And if he can't hang on to it, then you go into the trade market. Maybe you go get Nick Foles. Tower, you specialize in the AFC East, obviously. One through four, how would you stack them right now? It's Buffalo, clear number one, Miami number two, obviously big question mark there with Tua, but there's more continuity there. Then it would be New England and then the New York Jets. And I, and I think it, you'd probably be a little bit surprised about two and three. I think that's probably where you would get the biggest pushback. But ultimately, you know, and obviously I'm here in New England, I see it up close and personal, but what have we said about teams that quote unquote win the offseason? They never really produce wins in the regular season. So I'm not going to just completely change course in my thinking of how the NFL works in that regard. Just because the New England Patriots all of a sudden spent a boatload of money. They're making huge names. Hunter, you know, Hunter Henry, John U. Smith. They're drafting a the guy in the first round. We still have to figure out what's going on with the quarterback position with New England to really consider them a contender or not. Because if Cam Newton's the guy and he's the same player we saw a year ago, that's not good enough to contend for a division title, let alone a playoff spot or a Super Bowl or a Super Bowl, you know, or anything along the lines that the Patriots fans are used to. With Miami, there's a little bit more hope, I would say, because Tua, I, you know, as much as he wasn't great last year, the, there is still that talent in there somewhere that we saw at Alabama. 
and just bursting at the scenes, whether he just needed a little bit of help, you know, a little bit more tutelage. Again, I think we all forget that he was coming off that devastating uh, leg injury last year at Alabama. We didn't really even know if he was going to play at all during his first year in Miami. So I think after a year of getting healthy, a year in the system in Miami, I do hope and I do think he'll be a lot better in year two. So to me, I would go Miami right now as the default, and then let's see what Bill Belichick can do with all those new weapons in New England. Well, I agree with you that Buffalo is the team to beat. Uh, there's some distance between one and whoever you're going to put it to, New England or Miami. They are certainly the team on top. They do have a couple of hurdles. I brought up the stadium yeah. issue. Yeah. And they'll probably have to deal with it less because we're still dealing with COVID protocols and players are on Zoom conferences rather than guys being able to go to their locker room and ask them questions because uh, media guys like, oh, I don't know, you two guys who uh, go into locker rooms can get the stir the uh, the pot and hit the uh, hornet's nest a little bit. Chances are the Bills won't have to deal with that with the stadium issue this year. But they could have some internal strife. Cole Beasley has been the most outspoken anti-vaccination guy in the National Football League. I have not heard of any unrest in the locker room that has reached a certain height. There have been some guys that have had uh, open conversations with him um, that have gotten yeah, more than just uh, pleasant, but nothing overly heated. Do you think Cole Beasley, as basically the poster boy for not getting into the vaccination and the NFL players allowed to have their individual choice, do you think that's a uh, potential hurdle that the Bills have to get over? Well, I think it's a hurdle for any team that has unvaccinated players. It, you know, it's going to be an issue, kind of an awkward issue for the whole entire season if your team is not, you know, 100% vaccinated, high 90% vaccinated. Because if you have one of these guys go down, the NFL has made it quite clear, like, we're, we're kind of plowing through here. If we, if we aren't able to play, that's on you. You're getting the loss. It's, you know, it's really on you from at this point forward. And, you know, kind of speaking to the Bills, too, we don't, you know, as much as Cole Beasley's being kind of thrown out there, we're not 100% sure I, I believe unless something's changed I don't think we know about Josh Allen whether he's vaccinated or not the quarterback position obviously unbelievably important you don't want a scenario what happened with the Denver Broncos last year where all of a sudden you're starting a wide receiver at quarterback you know and, and you're a team like the Buffalo Bills like we've been saying contending for a Super Bowl spot you are positioning yourself possibly for the top seed in the AFC you're talking first round buys you're talking about all the things that are recipes for a deep playoff run you lose a game because of covid or anything along those lines because a player isn't vaccinated that could not only hurt you for that week that could hurt you for you know the entire season and really limit your ceiling as to how far you can go so i don't know if it's necessarily just a cole beasley problem i think it could just it's just a problem with any player right now that isn't vaccinated you are limiting possibly the ceiling of your team and especially if you're a quarterback like josh allen too now tyler we'll switch over to the mc east here Talking to Pat uh, Walker, our colleague, it doesn't seem like the Cowboys are going to be, you know, you know, he's always hyped up about Dallas and how good they're going to be this year. He's not getting that feeling this year. Doesn't it feel like they're not getting the hype that they've gotten the previous years? Well, yeah, I think there's some cautious, you know, there's, there's a lot of cautiousness to this because of a couple of things. Obviously, Dak Prescott coming back from that from that ankle injury, you know, you don't know what that's going to look like. We all assume that he's going to come back, and every indication is that he's he's feeling great, should be ready to go for week one. But, 
you never know how that ultimately responds. I know it's totally different, but like, you know, even when a guy tears his ACL, it's always the, the always the, the narrative is, well, really it's the second year. He's able to play right after a year later, but it's that second year where he's starting to really bounce back and be himself. I wonder if that's going to be the same scenario there with Dak Prescott. But I think the bigger issues are there's still questions about Mike McCarthy. Can he actually be a Super Bowl winning head coach in Dallas without Aaron Rodgers? Can he really kind of elevate this Cowboys team to contention? And ultimately the defense, that was their Achilles heel last year. I mean, you know, let's see what Dan Quinn can do, the new defensive coordinator for them. You know, that's going to be the end all be all. I mean, you know, I was, I was writing a, a, a few weeks ago, just kind of, you know, I believe it was a comeback player of the year story for us at CBS Sports, and it was about, obviously, Dak Prescott's the number one guy, and I was looking at his stats going in, in through the first four weeks. He was projected for, like, 6,000 yards. It was absolutely ridiculous if he kept on a 16-game pace. It was ridiculous, but that is not because Dak Prescott's lighting the world on fire. He is, but it's because he had to. It's because the defense was, was forcing him to drop back 30, 40 times a game to even keep them in contention. That's not sustainable for any quarterback in the NFL. I don't care if it's Dak Prescott, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. It doesn't matter. You can't just expect a guy to drop back 50 times in a game and keep you in contention. The defense needs to get better, particularly in that secondary. Now, this question may annoy my co-host today, but I'm directing it to you, Tyler. Um, and I liked Michael Parsons when I saw him play at Penn State. But he didn't play at Penn State last year. And he's going to come in and be the key guy on the Cowboy defense this year. I think he will become a really good linebacker in this league. But from day one, is he going to be the guy who's going to be the leader on this team? Seems like they're banking on him a lot. And I like Dan Quinn as a defense coordinator. And not so good as a head coach or not as good as a head coach. Um, but can, can they put that many... Uh, chips in the table for Micah Parsons uh, starting out game one being the main guy in the middle of that Cowboy defense. Well, I always think it's tough whenever you try to ask a lot of a first-round rookie. I mean, you know, sometimes it pops off. Sometimes it ends up working out. You saw that last year in Tampa Bay with Antoine Winfield Jr. really helped out that secondary from the get-go. Uh, Tristan Wirfs was another rookie for them that really popped off. I remember back here a few years ago. Well, now it's not only a few years ago. It's probably about a decade ago now. But when the Patriots went after Chandler Jones and Dante Hightower in the first round, they were immediate impact players in year one for that defense. So it can be done, but there's also, you know, sometimes it just, it, it takes a little bit for these guys. You know, they talk a lot about the speed of the game and how, you know, much of a leap it is going from college, no matter if you're wherever you play, whether it's the SEC, the ACC, no matter where you are, that level of college football to the pros, the speed of that game is, is a quantum leap. So it is tough for a few players to process there. So if you're not only a rookie trying to figure that out, but also being asked to be the anchor of a defense, that's a really tall ask. So I, I would kind of pump the brakes on that a little bit. I do think that that would be a little bit more difficult for a guy like that. But ultimately, we'll have to see. He's, he's a high-round pick, you know, certainly a lot of talent there. So it's so he has the potential to, like you said, ultimately be that guy. It's just a question of how soon can he ultimately live up to that status. Now, you know Joe Judge probably better than anybody on here, and you know how my thoughts on Joe Judge. I think the Giants could be the biggest disappointment in the league this year, which is saying something because they were 6-10 and 10 last year. Do you feel like this thing's going to blow up in New York? Because to me, maybe I'm overblowing the Kelvin Benjamin thing, but it seems like that's going to be a common theme for this team. 
Yeah, that was a weird one, you know, and there's always a weird one every summer. You know, there's there, there's some weird situation in, in some facility somewhere in training camp, and Kelvin Benjamin just happened to be this one in New York. But it does bring up an interesting question about what is Joe Judge going to be able to bring this New York Giants team? You know, it, you know these Belichick disciples, they have, a, they have kind of a shaky track history here, you know, track record. You know, Brian Flores, I think, is probably the shining example of how great it can be. And I think he's doing a fantastic job down there in Miami. But then you have the Matt Patricias and you have the Josh McDaniels who just weren't able to live up to the hype of, you know, oh, I'm going to take all Belichick's secrets and bring it to this franchise and we're going to be Patriots 2.0. You know, now you have Joe Judge here. Not only does he have the Belichick, you know, resume, but he also has been with Nick Saban. Certainly a lot of great, you know, talent there and a great lot of knowledge. But ultimately, you got to wonder what it's going to look like. But for me, whenever we talk about the the coach and and whether or not it's going to work in in his system and his philosophy, for for Joe Judge, it's very, very Belichickian. But ultimately, it only works if you're winning. And, And, you know, it's only going to work if a guy like Daniel Jones is able to take a leap in year three and actually keep that offense potent and and be able to kind of put wins and points up on the board. If all of a sudden you start losing, the Hemming and Harn and and the militaristic type of, you know, organization that you like to run, whether it's Belichick or Judge, it's just not sustainable. So really, it depends on what's going to happen with Daniel Jones and the developments that he makes. If he's able to kind of keep this offense afloat, and I don't want to say take a Josh Allen type leap, but something similar, in the, in his year three season, then all of a sudden you start looking at Joe Judge a little bit differently, saying, okay, he's able to develop a quarterback. He's able to help this team move forward, and players are able to buy in a little bit more to that kind of tough love that he's giving them. So to me, it has just as much to do with the quarterback as it does with the head coach. If the Giants underachieve the way Jeff is suggesting, I'll tell you, I think it's going to be more about Daniel Jones than about Joe Judge. Kelvin Benjamin, really? We're going to judge Joe Judge because of Kelvin? Why was Kelvin Benjamin already even there? The Giants have enough talent at the wide receiver room. I'd ask that question to the general manager, not to the coach. But that's just me. Um, Let me ask you about that Washington football team. I'll pat myself on the back here. I took Antonio Gibson in the last round of my fantasy draft last year, and he scored 11 touchdowns. So, yes, I love the guy. But in doing my projections for this upcoming year, yeah, I don't know if he can have that kind of season again. Can he? It was one of the pleasant surprises in the National Football League last year. And if I'm this the, the Washington football team, I'm betting on him again this season. Can they overbet him? I mean, I, I do love the idea of him being a workhorse back for them. I do wonder as to just how much action he's going to get. Again, like you said, like they're, they're not going to just completely make him a workhorse. I don't think. I think they would want to keep him fresh because they feel like they can contend in that division. Whether, you know, obviously they won it last year. They want to see if they can repeat with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think they're probably going to pass a little bit more. I believe J.D. McKissick's still on the, on, on, the, on the roster there. He was a factor in the playoffs as well. So you do have to wonder is how much action is he going to receive. You're certainly not going to be able to get him in the last round. He's probably going to be a first or second round pick this year. Hate to break that news to you. Yeah, but, but ultimately, I do think, you know, from a fantasy perspective, he'll still be a guy that you want to talk target but I, I do wonder as to what his ceiling is going to be now that teams obviously know what he brings to the table he's not as much as a, of a surprise as he was in year one we see this a ton with 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 any player or any offensive player they kind of you know 
burst onto the scene in year one. And then all of a sudden, when you start to get a little tape on him, you start to figure out those weaknesses, especially after an offseason to say, okay, this guy's in our division now, whether it's Philadelphia, New York, or Dallas, and say, how do we stop this guy from burning us every single week? And you start to kind of pinpoint those weaknesses and those deficiencies. So I do, I am a little curious to see what happens and how defenses attack Antonio Gibson. But ultimately, I do think he's going to be one of the better backs in this league. So probably not last round pick, but you know, you'll you'll get him somewhere if you're aggressive enough. Right. Jody and I are pretty realistic about the Eagles here. We know they're not a Super Bowl team this year, and I even close. Uh, you know, if they go nine and eight, I think we'll both be jumping out of our chairs. But overall, how do you see this football team? Well, it's really just the curious standpoint of what's going to happen with Jalen Hurts, right? Like from the outside looking in, you guys are looking at it, you know, super close with them under the microscope. From But from a bird's eye view, no, no pun intended, you're looking at Jalen Hurts. And what is that going to look like? Now that he is, you know, we, we talk, he's not the, he's not the official starter. He hasn't been in, put that in name yet, I don't believe. But we all assume he's going to be the week one starter start for the entire season. This is really what we're going to try to figure out here with Philadelphia, right? Can he be the guy that you can move forward with? Or if it completely flames out, is Philadelphia starting to get into the Deshaun Watson situation? Do they start to get into those conversations? Do they go into the draft next year and start addressing the quarterback position again? These are the questions that I'm kind of curious from a from a big picture standpoint with Philadelphia. They got to get the quarterback situation right under a new head coach. Figure that out, and then everything else starts to fall into place, whether it's on the defensive side, throughout the offense, what have you. To me, it's about Jalen Hurts. What can he do to prove to everybody, whether it's you know top on down from the Philadelphia brass, that he is the guy that can lead this franchise for the next few years? Or are they kind of having that wandering eye elsewhere now? All right, so I know the answer to this question isn't going to be the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, so that's okay. We've eliminated one out of 30, but you got 29 more to choose from. If I told you the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are not going to win the Super Bowl, it's going to be someone other than those two who made it last year, and I'm seeing more of rematch Super Bowl than I have in a long time with early prognostications. Take the two favorites off the table. Who is the next favorite to win the Super Bowl at the end of this year? If you're taking those two teams away from me, I'm saying that it will probably be the Los Angeles Rams and the Buffalo Bills meeting in the Super Bowl. Those would be the two teams that I would look at to say they they are right there. They have the quarterbacks. They have the coaching. They have the defense to get there, to get to the Super Bowl. Now, if you're talking about who's going to win that game, I would actually lean more towards the Los Angeles Rams. I, I just do believe that they have enough. And again, it, it, it's very it's going to be very interesting to see how quickly Matt Stafford can you know really divulge into this offense, really kind of ingrain himself into what they can do on a week in week out basis. But as we saw last year with Tom Brady, even if there are some bumps along the way in that first few weeks, the first couple of months of the season, all it takes is for you to kind of click around Thanksgiving, click around towards the tail end of the season, and you can go on a pretty special run in, 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 from what we saw last year, win four road games or three road games and then one neutral site, quote unquote, in the Super Bowl at Raymond James Stadium. So to me, the Los Angeles Rams, if Matt Stafford can turn this offense into something that has a little bit of a higher ceiling than what they had with Jared Goff. And then you have Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, and those bad boys on the defense on that other side. That That's a really tough team to beat. Now, I'll go a little – I guess I'll say one step further here. Sure. How will Kansas City and Tampa Bay not make the Super Bowl? 
Well, for Kansas City, again, it probably has to do with what lost them the Super Bowl last year, the offensive line. There's a lot of new players there this year. How does the chemistry kind of form? You know, they're all talented individually, but how do they work as a unit? The offensive line, more than any position in football, needs to just be a, you know, a, a machine that works almost fluently. And so what we saw last year, you know, it just wasn't good enough towards the tail end of that season. There was a ton of injuries, and Patrick Mahomes was running for his life against that Tampa Bay front seven. If you're going to get you know manhandled like that, you're not going to win many football games. And obviously, Kansas City is going to be a, a fantastic team, probably the number one seed in the AFC this year. But if that offensive line doesn't you know live up to what they're expected to be, that's one way they wouldn't make the Super Bowl. And then when you look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, it hasn't happened in, you know, you know almost two decades now. Teams winning back-to-back -back Super Bowls. And it, to me, I don't know if, it, you know, the easy way would be, the easy thing to say would be like, oh, you know, Father Time's hit Tom Brady. He's hit the wall. It's all over. It's a little boring. I think the thing that would probably scare me the most about Tampa Bay is, the other guys, the ones that are kind of resting on their laurels, saying that you know we won the Super Bowl, we're you know and the, you know we we got this under our, our 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 belts, we're all good to go, we can beat anybody, and all of a sudden they're starting to overlook their opponents and start losing games. That to me would be something that uh, that would concern me about Tampa Bay. Now Brady is a guy that may be able to you know weed that out a little bit to say, hey guys, I've been here, it's a whole new slate, whole new season. You know, you can't just kind of look back to last year, but I am a little curious to see if there's other players on that roster, maybe even on that defense, that kind of, you know, think that their 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 bleep don't stink a little bit and they kind of uh it kind of bites them in the butt uh towards the towards the season. All right, Tyler, we'll wrap it on this one. Um, don't know if you saw this, but uh John Skipper, pretty well known name in broadcasting circles, ex-president of ESPN, now the president of uh Dazen. Um, suggested it might not be that far down the road that the NFL goes to pay-per-view for the Super Bowl. How far down the road are we talking about? Do you think it can happen in the next decade, the next couple of decades? My lifetime is compared to young guy here with all his hair still here. His lifetime. When are we going to see a pay-per-view Super Bowl? I really wouldn't rule it out, and, and, and I don't even know if, you know, I think it, what you would have to look at is what is the what is the landscape right now of younger viewers? What well, how do how do we watch the NFL? And a lot of us are, are streaming now. You know, we're all subscribed to you know Disney Plus, Netflix. You know, all, all that stuff. You know, YouTube TV. I got that here at my house. I don't even have cable. I just watch YouTube TV, and it's and it's the same thing. So you know, I do think that there's something to be said for all of a sudden if. You know, the NFL, if they have their, their Sunday ticket package, you know, that's something that's kind of like a, a pay-per-view type of thing, how you can watch that. I know that's kind of up for sale at this point. You know, a lot of uh, outlets might be in, in the mix for that. I think I believe I heard Amazon might be into that as well. So, you know, that's a way where an NFL fan, if they don't have cable and they don't want to have cable, they just want to watch the NFL, they subscribe to whoever has the Sunday ticket you know, scenario. You pay whatever it is, a, few, a couple hundred bucks for the year, and that's how you're watching the NFL, including the Super Bowl. So to me, I don't think it's that far-fetched. We're kind of going into that stage anyways. Now, you know, obviously, you're, you're kind of painting it more as a – almost like a UFC event where it's, you know, you're, you're going to watch that single event. You're paying whatever it's going to be, 79 bucks, 80 bucks to watch the Super Bowl. You know, you could get there. You could get there. And, and especially if you, if you want to do a, 
a different type of broadcast. If you're looking at a little bit more of a, you know, whatever you want, if you want to swear, if you want to have like a different type of broadcast, a little bit more edgy or broadcast, maybe that's one way you could kind of sell that and package that as a pay-per-view event. But ultimately, it's going to take a little bit of a, a little bit longer. I know we're getting there, but I do think the the CBSs, the NBCs, the Foxes, the ESPNs, they're going to want to have this for as long as they possibly can. The NFL obviously holds all the cards, but you know it's going to be it's going to take a lot for them to kind of opt for other services. Tyler, great stuff. We appreciate you coming on board, despite the fact that you got too much hair for our show. We will absolutely, positively have you back. Thanks for hopping on with us today, buddy. No problem. Thanks for having me. Tyler Sullivan, CBSSports.com, NFL writer, giving us some good takes here today. Jeff Kerr, Jody McDonald. Oh, you know what we're going to do? I think we're going to come back and put a bow on the show. Stay with us. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say... But as I always say... It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest... Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. 
Coming down the home stretch of a Tuesday episode of Birds 365. Jeff Curran for Johnny Mac. Uh, again, if you missed Johnny Mac, he was on earlier. You can go back and watch it anytime here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. And if you're just tuning in now and you missed Tyler Sullivan, he was pretty damn good too, a uh, cohort of uh, Jeff's. And I, he, he rang a bell that I had not even been considering. I saw the story this morning, which opened my eyes that the NFL sometime in the near future from a major TV executive suggested they could go pay-per-view on the Super Bowl. Uh, and I'm not sure that that's the case anytime in the future, but it's also not an impossibility. And he brought up something I haven't even thought of. The R-rated Super Bowl coverage. If you had, it w- it would be a pay-per-view that you could buy it, but it would also be broadcast somewhere else. It'd be on CBS or ABC or NBC or whatever else. But if you wanted the specific coverage, because ESPN has done a bunch of these where they have two or three or four different outlets for one game, all their different platforms that they broadcast on, could there be an R-rated platform for the broadcast of the Super Bowl? And if that was the case... Jeff Carr, I'm going to ask you this now completely unfair question because you didn't know it was coming. So you can answer me tomorrow if you want to take some time and think about it. Or if you give me somebody off the top of your head, who would you want calling that game? Oh, con- Considering it's the R-rated Super Bowl, you get what I'm uh, driving at here, right? Yeah. Uh, there's going to well, be a whole lot of things we you can't say on over-the-air TV. Is there anyone specific? You're bringing back Dennis Miller again? We did have been there, done that with Dennis Miller. Who would you want calling an R-rated Super Bowl? You know, Dennis Miller was one of the first people I thought of, actually. <laughs> I would love to hear him just go completely. I mean, that was a terrible fit on Monday Night Football when they did it back in 2000. But if Dennis Miller could be Dennis Miller, which he actually did get better at, by the way, over the years. They just moved on from him for John Madden, which made a lot of sense. I would bring a guy like that back who does know a little bit about football, can swear. He beats up. And you know what? John Anik from the UFC. I would love to bring him in there because I think he just excites everything. And when I watch his pay-per-view fights, it's – John Anik's great. I would I would love to see, like, maybe not him and Dennis Miller together. I would definitely have to think about this. But could you imagine even a Joe Buck – Joe Buck unfiltered? Because Joe Buck's been – He's pretty entertaining on Twitter. And I have a feeling if you let Joe Buck come out of his element a bit and not the whole rah-rah, you know, all right, that's a touchdown, you know, I, I feel like he would be a, I, I wish Howard Cosell could be alive to do a pay-per-view because that would be a guy I would bring back from the dead. And him and, you know, there's a couple guys. Tom Brookshire I would love to see kind of come back in his element. Maybe a Chuck McNair come back, you know, guys, guys that have passed. But those would be the guys I think I would love to hear on a pay-per-view broadcast. But we're living – guys are alive with us today. Dennis Miller, he was definitely one of the first people I thought of. A couple of things. Um, I got to know Brookie when I first moved to Philadelphia, 1990. Brookshire was the morning show host with Angelo Catali at WIP. So I got to know Brookie a little bit. And yes, his language can be colorful. I had actually met Brookie in a couple of establishments in New York before I came to Philly when I was still in my 20s. So he's very good. That That's a very good name. I hadn't even thought of Brookie. Um, Dennis Miller, I interviewed Al Michaels six months ago, nine months ago on, on my CBS Sports Radio show. And I don't know how it even came up, but he told me that Dennis Miller still regularly texts him 
during the Sunday night football game that Al and Dennis have actually stayed buddies and pals. And he said, I'll get a text from Miller during the game, not before the game, not after the game. He texts me during the game with a comment. He's still uh, desirous to be part of the broadcast team. Uh, so I think Dennis Miller could actually work. Uh, the one you touched on had no chance, no shot whatsoever is Joe Buck because <laughs> then he's got to go back to regular TV. When you make this break, when you're the guy who does the R-rated Super Bowl, you're kind of tight-casting yourself. That's what you become. I don't think it's one of those things where you can go back and forth that you do the straight-up broadcast. But once every five years, you go and do an R-rated. No, 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 no. Either you're in or out of those two. There's, there's no melding of those two worlds. I don't think you can go back and forth. I think you got to be one or the other. Yeah, I would agree there. I mean, Joe Buck would be fun, but yeah, you're right. It's how do you go back to that? You know what? I'm curious about this, Jody. Now that Amazon has the Thursday Night Football package and the streaming and you're paying for it, could they have an alternate broadcast like that? You know, it, I mean, you're technically paying for it. Like, could you do R-rated, like just do on-field stuff where you get to hear players or you kind of get the curse a little bit and kind of speak up? Like, it, it does look like Al Michaels is going to be the Amazon guy. I mean, nothing's official yet. They're still working on stuff there but they obviously NBC obviously wants to move Mike Tirico to the Sunday night booth sooner rather than later but yeah you've talked to Al I mean I heard Al WIP I think with Glenn and Ray a couple what was it a couple months ago I don't think Al's ready to give it up yet no so, Al's still very dedicated to his broadcast yeah uh, it'll be interesting to see how the NBC thing shakes out all right we're running out of time here I need to hold your feet to the fire Eagle fans aren't going to like this uh, uh, this is a hypothetical question, not a guaranteed question. First day in pads today. Of those Eagles that will be in pads and participating in practice, can't be somebody that's already hurt, who's the most likely guy to get nicked up because they're just going a little too hard in practice? That Because they've been waiting to let out a little pent-up energy and actually hit somebody, who's going to be the Eagle that we're talking about tomorrow? Uh-oh. He got hurt in their first hitting practice. I'm glad you clarified this because I was going to say, who's going to do the hitting or who's going to get hit? I'm going to say Andre Dillard. I really think it's going to be him. Uh, you you just made – and I said you like McMullen. Uh, maybe it's the other way around. Maybe I'm more in McMullen's go, uh, corner and <laughs> you're going like against McMullen. him because he is absolutely going to die on that uh, Andre Dillard hill. He's not going to give that job to Jordan Mailata until the head coach comes out and says – into the camera, Jordan Mailata is our starting left tackle. McMullen's not going to believe it. Uh, be tuned tomorrow because, yes, we'll have Johnny Mac back on at the start of the show. Uh, friend of the show, Russell Baxter from ProFootballGuru.com is going to come out with us. We'll be right back here in 22 hours. Uh, JK, have a good day. We'll do this again manana. Yeah, I, I can't wait. By the way, th there would be one pay-per-view I, I would pay to see. Al Michaels, Frank Gifford, Dan Deardorff. Let's bring it. Let's bring Frank Gifford back from the den. We'll bring back that Monday night crew. Good luck with that one. Uh, <laughs> you're gonna have to do it to a seance with Kathy Lee. Don't think it's <laughs> happening. All right, we'll be seancing with you. Football talk right here, 22 hours from now on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.